Hi there, this is David Knorr. I want to welcome you to the Curvebenders podcast. I'm so excited to finally publish Curvebenders this year, my 11th book, as a follow-on to Relationship Economics and Co-Create. By the way, if you're curious, in short, Curvebenders are your strategic relationships that enable this personal reinvention, this organizational reinvention in the future. Our research points to 15 forces that will dramatically impact the future of how we'll work, live, play, and give. The global pandemic is just one example. So how will you remain relevant? If more disruption will come at us more often with potentially far greater impact. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights, great ideas from guests I'm inviting to join us, as well as practical ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Noor here. Let me ask you, what are you really getting from the public social networks? Have you noticed most are becoming increasingly divisive or highly self-promotional? Are you getting solicited for various products or services from a barrage of people you don't know? I'm seeing an interesting trend, one of micro-communities made up of smaller but more intimate gatherings of like-minded professionals. I've always believed that people fundamentally gather for two reasons, content and community. So what can I learn and who else can I meet that I wouldn't otherwise? That's exactly what we've done. Earlier this year, we launched our private online community called the North Forum. It's a place where like-minded professionals are gathering to learn, share, and grow through insights about strategic relationships, visual storytelling, and their personal reinvention through this idea of non-linear growth. This is also where you'll find the show notes from this episode, articles, references to position papers by my podcast guests. It's where I am every day, engaging now over 2,500 members, sharing exclusive content, resources, and events. So I hope you'll check it out at norgroup.com slash forum. That's N-O-U-R group.com slash forum. Welcome back to another episode of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm elated to be joined by, boy, I've known this young lady. I can say young because you're younger than I am, but I've known this this incredible woman for several years through our Marshall Goldsmith and MG100 community. Erica Duan is my guest. Hello, Erica. It's so great to be here. It is great to have you. So for those that may not know about you or that have been in a cave and haven't heard you speak, talk a little about where you've been, what you've done, and how you've gotten here. I'll start at the beginning. I grew up as a shy and introverted Indian immigrant girl. At home, my parents spoke Hindi. At school, I had a broken English with an Indian accent. For much of my life, I struggled to find my voice. And one of the things that I developed a knack for was deciphering people's body language. What allowed certain people to get respected and heard and others not. And it became my passion. I ended up teaching public speaking, becoming an expert on collaboration and communication. And today I am especially excited because just like I was an immigrant for many years, trying to master traditional body language, we are all immigrants to the new world of digital body language, which is a big part of my mission to allow each of us to better connect no matter the distance. And you have a great brand new book coming out in May, Digital Body Language. So I want to talk about that in a second, but talk about one of the first times I heard about, you know, I heard you speak, you were talking about connectional relevance and 
and relationals. And so, so talk about, we, we kind of play in similar space of this idea of the incredible value of relationships. Talk about kind of your last book and also love that, you know, the whole idea of, of think big, go big, do big things. So talk about where you've been on your book so far. A few years ago, I wrote my first book called Get Big Things Done, The Power of Connectional Intelligence. And I'll sum it up with one really important story from large company, Colgate-Palmolive. A few years ago, there was a team of chemists at the company that had developed a new fluoride. They were meshing in their toothpaste. But there was a mechanical flow problem, and no one could figure out why. It was taking months and months of time. Finally, one team member said, why don't we ask a different network? They posted it on a scientific community, and a physicist solved the problem in days. What the Colgate team realized is that they didn't even dare to ask the physicists at their own company how to solve that problem. They had labeled it as a chemistry problem. In today's world, the key is not to have the answer yourself. The key is to be able to broaden your questions so you can be inclusive of networks to help generate the best solutions. And connectional intelligence is all about just that. It's about thinking differently about how you leverage your networks and relationships so that you can truly get big things done and leverage the collective expertise of all. Love that. And, and again, it really points to um, when I've seen you present, you talk a lot about this, the strategic value of those relationships in not just solving problems, but also identifying upside opportunities. So switch gears with me. What did the idea of digital body language come from? Talk about your journey, because I always tell my friends who's, who think you and I crank up books like it's you know changing undergarments. And no, it actually takes a minute. So talk about your journey and, and where did the idea come from and how did you arrive at your manuscript? Back in 2016, yes, 2016, well before the pandemic arrived, I kept hearing the same challenges from CEOs and leadership teams as I was working with them to really help build cultures of not just emotional intelligence, but what I call connectional intelligence. And there were questions like, why is there so much misunderstanding at work? How do we better connect with different ages and working styles? And what I discovered was that there was no true playbook for how we lead and communicate in a digital world where physical body language cues are no longer just the norm, where as PNL leaders, we have to be able to lead geographically dispersed teams, sales forces across the globe and customers that can be anywhere truly in, in today's global context. And what that really involves is a new sensitivity and consciousness, not only to what we all knew as the importance of nonverbal cues, like pacing, pauses, gestures, and tones, but also a new wave of what I call digital body language, which are the cues and signals we send in our communication that make up the subtext of our messages. That is why I set off to write this book four years ago. I never would have imagined it would be as relevant as it is today, but I hope it is the new playbook for how we lead and communicate in our new world. So I love that. Build on that idea. So can you give us an example of the cues and signals we, we send out? Let's talk about a, a few examples. And I will, I'll share some practical stories, especially senior leaders who may have not realized the digital body language signals they were sending. One of my clients sent a urgent email message to his boss, Tom, that said, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And Tom's response was, yes. Now, I like to share this story because reading messages carefully is the new listening. Writing clearly is the new empathy. And we have to realize, especially as leaders, that our words carry different weight in the world where we can't read those body cues the same way. Let me share another example. 
One senior leader I work with told me a story where she sent a a calendar invite to her team member for a meeting the next morning in the last year. She wanted to talk about a client. She sent it Thursday night for a Friday morning, 8 a.m. meeting. She comes into the call and she finds out that her team member thought he was about to get fired. They had been some budget cuts that week and he didn't sleep all night. He was anxious. She just wanted to talk about a client. But one of the lessons we have to realize is to never confuse a brief message with a clear message. And one final example I think that is important is one chief marketing officer told me a story where she was reviewing a deck on a Zoom call and she told her team members, let's iterate on this topic a bit more. She thought she had said, let's just add two more bullet points on the slide. The team comes back a week later with 10 more slides. They spent about 50 hours on it. It ends up whittling it down to two bullet points. They feel demotivated and not valued. And she realized that she may not have been sending the right signal. So those are just three simple examples of how important our signals are today and how we don't just walk the talk. We don't talk the talk. We write the talk. And our words carry different weight in ways that we never have prepared for in the past. Are those, and again, for our audience, you got to pick up a copy of the digital body language. So Erica's elegantly broken down to kind of three distinct parts. Are are those examples of the navigating the power plays and the anxiety that, uh, and reading between the lines that you were alluding to? There are plenty more examples. Those are some of the most common ones. But when it comes to navigating digital anxiety, there are four things that cause digital anxiety that leaders should avoid, that cultures should make sure they steer clear from. The first, as I mentioned earlier, is brevity. Brevity can create confusion. Never confuse brief with clear. The second is passive aggressiveness or assumptions that someone is passive aggressive. If we write to reiterate on my previous conversation, for some, it's just how they write in business school. For others, it can feel passive aggressive. So We're in the wild, wild west, and we have to be conscious of this. The third type of digital anxiety is slow or no responses. In some ways, ghosting has become more common, more of a norm, sadly, than an exception. And being thoughtful of really being consistent with individuals can go a long way in creating cultures of trust. And last but not least, a final example of digital anxiety is formality confusion or a switch in formality. For example, if You used to send one-liners with teammates, and then they start signing off their messages with best regards. Or you used to just be able to call them, and now they say, please work with my assistant. Those switches and formalities can often imply things that can create a sense of anxiety. It also sounds like a lot of this could be misconceived or misperceived or... Well, what are you saying about my mother? I'm not saying anything about your mother. She's probably a lovely woman, right? So you talk about stop disrespecting me. So, so really, you know, talk about the four laws of digital body language. Talk about those. In my research, I identified four laws that leaders can implement in their teams to move from misunderstanding to true clarity and collaboration. The first law is to value others visibly. In the past, valuing others was the head nod, the handshake, taking the team out to dinner. Today, valuing visibly is valuing people's time in boxes and schedules, not chronically canceling, not uh, skimming through and not answering questions, uh, not sending those brief one-liners and giving people what they need to feel valued so they can do their best work. The second law is to communicate carefully. I've talked a lot about this already. Think before you type and understand how to be maniacally clear. The third law is what I call collaborate confidently. Now, in a world where confidence used to look like gregarious body language, you know, being 
the the loudest person in the room or showing your executive presence in that big conference or large meeting. Today, confidence looks a little different. It looks like saying what you'll do and doing what you'll say, following through on your commitment so people don't have to chase you down. And it's that really integration of more equality in what you say and what you do. And last but not least, the fourth law is trust totally. Trusting totally is about creating a culture where individuals feel safe enough to speak up and vulnerable enough to talk about hard things and take freedoms to take risks together. And let's be honest, it's harder in a hybrid world. But if we can assume good intent, create virtual water cooler moments and show our own vulnerabilities as leaders, we can role model behaviors that will go a long way in creating better cultures of collaboration and innovation. I think one of the coolest sections of the book that I read was all about the digital body languages across differences, right? So you and I are not wired the same. You and I, you know, may not come from the same background or education or certainly the cultures in which we're raised. Talk about those differences. Whether gender, culture, generation, race, we all carry our stories, our backgrounds that lead us to connect with certain people versus others that shape how we perceive someone else as an insider or an outsider. And similar to traditional body language biases across gender, generation, culture, whether it be up-talking or voice pitch or someone with a deep cultural accent versus someone with your native language accent, these were signals and cues that affected who got heard, who got respected, and who got credit in our marketplace. In a digital world, I've identified that some of these biases are amplified and some of these biases are actually reduced. For example, let's talk about culture. Now, uh, even in the world of communication, cultural accents were a big barrier to creating that connection and communication. But what we're seeing in the world of video calls and Zoom meetings is actually individuals that may not have projected as well but through voiceover are sharing their comments in the chat at the same time as other people are speaking and they think better in writing. Maybe they're an introvert and they're able to share and infuse more of their ideas through varied spaces and mediums. On the other end, you know, let's talk about generational differences. What I found is that we all know ages are not all the same. And, you know, there are people that are 50 that are digital natives and people that I like to say are in their 20s that are what I call digital adapters that are not as tech savvy as we think or we expect. And what's important right now is to understand that we are all not the same when it comes to our digital preferences. Digital natives who tend to skew younger really prefer short chat tools. Digital adapters are like, why can't you pick up the damn phone and let's get on into a conversation. And so understanding that there are these varied styles, acknowledging your own bias and being thoughtful of how you connect with those differently than you is the answer. In Curvebender's book, I I talk about work-life blending. That as you know, we, we don't have a work life and a personal life. We have one life. And it seems like a lot of these observations, a lot of your research, a lot of your insights, Eric, a lot of your tips are as relevant in how I engage and digitally connect with my kids, who happen to be 19 and 17, as it does how I connect with colleagues and, and really get out of work like, you know, environment. Talk about the application of these ideas in other parts of our lives than just work. 
Similar to what we may remember from John Gray, he wrote, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, or the five love languages uh, by Gary Chapman that is still on the New York Times bestseller list. My mission with digital body language is to simply upgrade the understanding that we need to become fluent in a new language that is here to stay. And that digital body language has a wide spectrum from those that are very savvy in it already to those that are just beginning to learn it uh, in the last year. I think that the application is, um, is something that we can all use, not only in our workplaces, with our colleagues, with our customers and clients to reimagine connections, sales, efforts, business development in our modern day world, but also how we engage in having emotional conversations with our kids on FaceTime, with our family members, in our communities, as citizens. And my hope is that it's really the start of a new wave of conversations how to, of how to do just that. Talking about conversations, again, I was intrigued by in each section, you have questions for reflection. So you're not just sharing ideas of, look, here's a theoretical construct that you need to know. You share practical, pragmatic, kind of applicable tips. And then I love the questions. Where did the idea of the questions come from? What made you want to include those questions in, in, in the key sections of the book? Similar to books that I love, like your books, David. Let's be honest, David. You have an amazing books, and you know uh, she's one of my been, favorites. She's being paid five dollars for every nice <laughs> thing she says about me, just as a as a full disclosure for audience. You know, one of the other books I I love is Crucial Conversations, and it was so such a practical, perennial, timeless book. And my goal was to almost model Crucial Conversations for a digital hybrid world that we're living in, and some of the upgraded applications we need to have because a lot of those conversation books were built for the '90s face-to-face -face office where everyone could read each other's body cues. And so, in many ways, the implementation of a couple of questions that allow individuals to reflect is really role modeling that we need to have two-way conversations in with all of these principles. I, as an author and someone that can bring some tips, but we are not all the same. And there are certain ways that one person will take it versus others. And I think that's what the power of questions really do for all of us is to think in our own ways. Talk about digital body language and risk. Is it your supposition that if I pick up this knowledge, if I pick up these skills and these behaviors, I will dramatically de-risk potential downfalls or potential, again, mishaps or, again, we're not in the same room, right? I can't see them crossing their arms a lot of times or rolling their eyes or disengaging potentially on video, especially if the camera's not on. So this seems like a de-risking opportunity as well. We are facing high levels of risk when we can't be face-to-face, -face, especially if so much of our careers were built on flying down to that sales meeting having a big town hall as a PL leader to engage our team to get going and hit our goals for this quarter. And so when it comes to building this skill of digital body language, I, I don't even think it's about risk management. It's just competitive advantage. It's critical for future global competitiveness. If you want to compete in today's age, you need to understand the importance of digital body language, ensure your teams have training and skill sets around how to connect from afar. Even if you have a business where you are primarily face-to-face, -face, you are connecting on the phone, emailing, people talking on the same floor, uh, using these virtual tools. And this is just as much about how you include people face-to-face -face as how you include them 
when half the people are in the room and half the people are on the video screen. I've also found that the last year has unlocked new ways to improve business development and sales conversations. For example, one of my clients now in her Zoom sales meetings with prospects will an existing customer to talk to a prospect for five minutes on Zoom about how much they love working and, and being a partner you know, related to that specific product and their experience with that provider. And then they'll zoom out of the conversation and she'll continue the sales conversation. This would never have happened in the traditional sales coffee chat face-to-face, but we can bring in individuals like loyal customers to actually speed up trust building. So I think the opportunity isn't either or, it's how to infuse the power of digital in hybrid in a way that helps enhance and speed up trust versus erode it. I got to tell you, there's several phrases in your book that really stood out for me. One was, I guess you were quoting a friend who dubbed cell phones as wonder killers. Talk about the distractions that are in our lives, in our digital lives that really take away, diminish that interpersonal interaction or, or for me to be totally focused on you on this call or in this Zoom meeting and make sure I'm hearing not just what's said, but also what's not said. I would argue that our year of digital body language really at 100% is actually reshaping how we will go back to traditional body language. And this was already happening pre-pandemic, but I think it has accelerated in the last year. For example, I think that Having spent a year on a screen, we are more likely in face-to-face meetings to look down at our phone multiple times compared to what we would in the past. We are more likely to lack direct eye contact. We are more likely to miss the lean-in in a sales conversation and other body language signal cues. We are more likely to think in bullet points and expect others to speak in bullet points because we've been reading emails with bullet points for a year. So our traditional body language norms are actually changing as a result of this. And one of the biggest ones is the distractions and multitasking that we are experiencing. And I think it will only continue because the job of a leader today will also be being able to navigate hybrid meetings where three people are face-to-face in the office and three people are coming in on the Zoom screen in the office to have that conversation. So what that will require is a different sensitivity and consciousness around digital body language in ways that I think may feel a bit scripted, but are actually critical to drive more inclusion and innovation. For example, when you have a hybrid meeting, make sure a remote attendees lead parts of the meeting to avoid visual bias of just who's in the room. Uh, have you know a chat tool that you're using so people virtually are chatting in conversations in real time, just like we've done in Zoom meetings. Use a virtual whiteboard in addition to a live whiteboard in a room so that everyone can really be part of the brainstorming. And again, these are just simple tactics that we've innovated around in the last year that will only make us better moving forward. So talking about moving forward, you and I've talked a lot about future of work. You and I've talked about, you know, the evolution of individuals, teams, organizations because of this pandemic. Talk about the impact of our digital body language in the future of how we'll work. I, I appreciate your comments around empathy, comments around listening more intently, comments around really understanding. I, I often ask you know, people, how's your head? How's your heart? Right. So trying to get to some of those more vulnerable conversations, extrapolate this idea forward 
in in 10 years. You remember we used to call it e-commerce and that's just commerce, right? So does digital body language just becomes our digital relationships and digital interactions moving forward? I think as we look to the the next segment of eras of digital body language, it it is a lot like what the different levels of how traditional body language learning evolved. Back in 1990, Deborah Tannen wrote a book, You Just Don't Understand, and how women and men engage in, in conversation. And year over year, there was data and science that showed some of the differences in body language signals and biases and how that affected all of us. And I think in the same vein, we're going to have over the next 10 years, a whole new set of rules and norms that will allow us to use and connect, whether it be email, text messaging, video calls, phone calls in smarter and better ways than in the past. Because before this was just a compliment to -to face-to-face meetings. Now in many industries, it will replace or it will be just as equal as those as those face-to-face meetings. I, I would argue that in the future, it will just become relationship building and it will just be embedded into the journey of how we build relationships and we'll be more proactive. Instead of starting with the phone call, we may start with a video call. And in, instead of meeting on site once, we may meet on site once and then have video call every two weeks and be more connected as a result. It's all up to all of us to reset the rules so that we don't go back to work. We don't go to the pre-pandemic time where we were already having bad meetings and oh, too many emails, but instead going forward in a way that isn't causing screen fatigue and email anxiety, but is actually allowing us to get more clarity and bigger things done. And unless you tell me otherwise, as a leader, unless I embrace this new set of rules, this new... I would say decorum for how to engage and influence others through digital relationships. Erica, I'm really going to struggle to remain relevant. This is a is a critical factor in competitiveness in our modern age. And I think that it involves leaders getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I recently worked with a CEO who was used to running town halls pre-pandemic where he would walk in, read a scripted corporate communications plan, give the entire organization a business update. Everyone felt engaged. He shook hands and he left and it was easy and done. Today, if he tries to do that on a Zoom call, it fell completely flat. No one was engaged. People did not feel valued or respected. So we actually worked on it and we flipped the whole script. Now he is sending a business update video in advance of that town hall. Then during the town hall, the entire meeting is an ask me anything where employees around the world are asking him questions, having him authentically answer them without a corporate script and, you know, giving shout outs, engaging team members to share their stories as well. And it's completely transformed how people feel connected and it's made for better town halls than there were in the past. So I think the leaders that are ready to use this moment to innovate further, to uh, leverage the opportunities to be less geographically biased and visually biased, these are the leaders of the future that will thrive. For our audience, if you've joined us late, you've been listening to Erica Duan, author of the brand new book, Digital Body Language. She is MG100, Marshall Goldsmith 100 community and Thinker's 50 friend and colleague. So Erica, I've got to ask you, obviously, curve benders are relationships that have a profound impact on not just helping us execute, perform, or driver, you know, drive short-term results, but they really shape the leader that we become over long-term. Can you think of your own journey and one or two people 
who've had that kind of an, a profound impact on you? There's so many people in my life that have had a profound impact, but I'm going to share two. The first one is my father is Indian immigrant cardiologist, but there's one story that really shaped my life that I talk about in my new book. Right after 9-11, I was this you know immigrant Indian kid that you know, played sports. And my father was waiting for me after a sports practice. And when I came out, you know, someone had noticed my father waiting for me and deemed that he looked suspicious. It was right after 9-11, called the cops on him. And I came out and my father was being frisked by police. And he was a local cardiologist at a local hospital. We lived 10 minutes away. And I remember watching his body language, his palms wide open, his eye contact direct, his deference and respect to the officers. And I also, you know, remember driving home that day with him and being really angry, angry for the racial profiling I saw, but also angry at how deferring he was. And he said to me, Erica, body language saved my life today. And then he said, wouldn't it be better to think, to step into the shoes of others and think about what they might be feeling? And it was one of the most important moments for me to think about what empathy really is. And that empathy is all about checking our own biases, you know, whatever it may be, and really stepping into the shoes of the of another. And I think it's shaped my life and why I wanted to write a book on empathy in a digital age. You said that another one? That's a powerful story. Yes, there's one more. Uh, his name is Marshall Gans. Marshall Gans is a leading community organizing expert and a professor at Harvard who I studied under and taught with. And one of the things that Marshall really taught me is very much that leadership is not about title or position. It's about enabling others to achieve a shared purpose in the face of uncertainty. And your job as a leader is to be a facilitator, to create a shared space for ideas to be spread. And I spent so much of my life trying to achieve, trying to have the answer. But if we can just take a step back, let go of trying to hold on and control and give people space and be translators, we can actually get so much more done together. On that note, thank you for being our guest on the Curve Vendors podcast. Thank you so much for having me. By the way, three quick points. We turned the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles. You can find those in our online private community called The Forum. So check that out at norgroup.com slash forum. Number two, we've completely revamped our newsletter to make them even more practical and relevant with both a free and a premium version coming up. So check that out at norgroup.com slash newsletter. And lastly, we want to bring the content from these episodes to life. So check out our various social media channels with the hashtag Curvebenders for the latest updates. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Erica Dwan and her new book, Digital Body Language. I mean, how apropos that she started this journey, you know, four years ago and uh, was able to finish the book through the global pandemic. This is the NOR summary notes, hopefully, uh, you know, some summary ideas and actionable ideas you can take and implement in your own world. So uh, listen to how she described digital anxiety, right? Don't confuse brevity with clarity, right? So I'm a huge believer of brevity, but if it leaves people scratching their heads, like what the heck does that mean? right? It's going to cause problems. Passive aggressive. I hope you've read my email sent to you three times before. Just it's not necessary. 
right? So don't do that. Uh, showing or, you know, or no responsiveness, slow or no responsiveness, right? So it, it just, listen, it's, it's as human beings, we all want to feel valued and we all want to feel important. I'm working with an executive right now. Well, she's not a client and it's, it's, you send her an email and you don't hear back for weeks and I get it. She's busy, but it's just, it's, it's disrespectful, and and we're going to have one of those come to Jesus conversations pretty soon of, I can't help you, even indirectly. She's not even a direct client. We're working on something else at our company. I can't help you if you don't reply. Um, formality switching. Warmest regards. Hey, listen, uh, why don't you have your people talk to my people and we'll set up some people to meet for people. Uh, come on. It, it, relationships are still between individuals. Right. I, I don't mind working with assistants or others to get things done. By the same token, I don't want to get delegated, abdicated, and it's going to rub your relationships the wrong way. I, I cringed when she gave the example of, you know, urgent email. Do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? Reply. Yes. <laughs> right. Slow down. Read the email. Answer the question. Right. So reading carefully is the new listening. Uh, writing clearly is the new sign of empathy, right? Um, also, like the four laws she mentioned, value others visibly, uh, communicate carefully, collaborate confidently, and trust totally, right? So I think she's gone to some really, really interesting nuggets in this book. Um, I got to tell you, um, her story about her dad, how body language saved my life today. Uh, that's powerful. Oh my Lord. That is, uh, that one really grabbed me in, in terms of what an incredible story. So obviously the focus here is digital body language, digital, digital relationships. And I couldn't agree with her more. I think they're going to continue to shape the future of how we'll work, but also how we'll live. And I was elated to have her as a guest on Kurt Fender's podcast. So three quick points. Number one, Erica's going to be my guest today at noon Eastern. So come join us on LinkedIn Live. Number two, we turn the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles. So come join us in our North Forum community to talk more about them, share your ideas, perspectives. Number three, I have some amazing, amazing guests coming up, uh, including uh, Harry Kramer uh, next week, Michael Watkins, Jeff Parker from Dartmouth, uh, so I hope you'll subscribe to Curve Vendors wherever you consume podcasts or at uh, norgroup.com slash podcast. I'm so grateful for all of our listeners on the Curve Vendors podcast. I'd love to hear from you with ideas, with suggestions, with guests you'd love to hear from at this intersection of future of work strategic relationships, and nonlinear growth, you can simply email podcast at norgroup.com or follow us on various social media channels where I use the hashtag CurveBenders to keep you posted on our latest progress.